This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today we've got part two of our interview with John Amos, Valley resident, writer, and actor. You might have seen him in Roots, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, The West Wing, or such films as Coming to America or Die Hard 2. John, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Uh, We visited last time with some of your history on film and stage and screen. Let's pick it up at a different place. You had a career as a professional football player. Oh, I wouldn't call it a career. Let's say I had a brief outing. You had a stint. (laughs) Yes. Is that what it was? Okay. So, uh, as I understand it, you even had a brush with the Broncos. Oh, that was a real, real light brush. What what had happened was I went to Colorado State University in Fort Collins, and the Broncos were using Fort Collins as their training camp that year. So I signed a contract as a free agent, and they gave me a tryout. They said, okay, you report to uh, the this training facility tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Well, it was my, one of my old dormitories since they were using my my former college campus as a training facility. I checked in, got my physical, and was told to report to the coaches at a certain time. Well, I couldn't run the 40 for time because I pulled a hamstring. And for a free agent rookie with a a pulled hamstring, the chances of me making that team were nil and none. (laughs) So I was signed on a Monday, released on a Tuesday. And uh, that was heartbreaking for me because I'd waited all my life to get a chance to play pro football and then get cut in less than 24 hours. It was just heartbreaking for me. Reality kicked in. <laughs> but as, as as fate and God would have it, I tried unsuccessfully to play pro football for too long. Uh, I had one shot with the Broncos, which lasted 24 hours, a free agent contract. I, I ended that year playing semi-pro ball and signed with the Kansas City Chiefs as a free agent the following season with basically the same results, although I did hang around long enough to realize that with a little bit more training, considerably more training, a little more physicality, I might have had a better chance. So I would sign, that would be the first of two contracts that I would sign with Kansas City, played semi-pro ball in between the two contracts, and then went back and signed with Kansas City again, again to no avail. I was released, but it was there while I was uh, being released by the Chiefs and by Hank Stram for the second time that I made a career choice that changed my life. I asked Coach Stram if I could have his permission to read something that I had written to the football team before they put me on the bus to send me away from camp. And he said, yeah, what? It, well, what is it? I said, well, I kind of written a little story about my attempts to play pro football it's called the Turk. Now, the Turk is a euphemism for that guy that comes in the middle of the night and says, uh, Amos, the coach wants to see you and bring your playbook. <laughs> and with that announcement, you know that your life with that particular team is pretty much over. Well, I heard that speech so many times, and I handed in my playbook so many times that I realized at a certain point I was not going to make it as a pro football player. I better find something else to do. So did the coach uh, let you read your poem? Yes, he let me read the poem, and that's when my life changed because the the, the, the poem had such an impact on those, especially those veteran players who were there 
because it addressed in a rhyming sort of a, a, a self-deprecating way what happens when you when your uh, your talents are less than you'd hope they would be, <laughs> and the heartbreak that goes with it. So anyway, I wrote the the Turk, recited it to the team. They gave me a standing ovation. In fact, several players, veterans, started cheering. You got to keep him, coach. You got to keep him, coach. Well, that didn't register with Hank Strand because I was released. Nevertheless, he said, no, we're not here running a charity camp. We got to have some guys that can play ball. I'm not looking for personalities or sports personalities or guys that write poetry. I'm looking for linemen and running backs, etc. cetera. I, I didn't make the grade. But I did find my life's calling, which is the entertainment industry. So I thank Hank Stram for that, and I'll be eternally grateful to Hank for giving me that opportunity. Uh, even though you uh, you didn't make it long term in uh, professional football, you still have fond memories. I can tell. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, to say that I once wore a Chiefs uniform, and I know what it's like to have your name called in an Arrowhead Stadium and to run out in uniform before a crowd of fifty thousand or better. That, to me, I, as far as I was concerned, I was already in the Hall of Fame <laughs> just to get that far. So what position did you play? Allegedly running back. <laughs> running it back, was never right. confirmed. <laughs> right. And what, what were your strengths and weaknesses as a player? I would say my strengths would be, the truth of it is I should have been playing defense. I think I would have been a much better defensive back than an offensive back. I was fairly fast. I had a little slightly better than average speed. Good size. My best running weight was about 215, 220. I wasn't a great big power back like some of the people that had played for Kansas City, but I could pretty much hold my own as a 200-pound running back. It was a wonderful experience. I got to see some of my heroes, my football heroes up close, real up close. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't regret uh, having tried to realize my dream as a pro football player, but God had other plans for me, obviously. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk a little more about acting. Last time you mentioned Ernest Borgnine as, yes. as a big influence. Who were some of your other favorite uh, actors, actresses, directors that you had a chance to work with? There's so many and in different areas of the entertainment industry. Comedically, which was my main thrust, I always had confidence in my ability to make people laugh. It got me kicked out of every school I'd been <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd been in and uh, sent to the back of the classroom a lot of times just for cutting up and making people laugh. So I had confidence in my ability to do that. When I think of the, the, the comics or the comedic minds that I've worked with, I was blessed. I came along at the right time that his television was just beginning to find its way and young talents were being developed. And I was brought under the wing of some of the best writers and producers in the industry. Saul Ilson and Ernie Chambers, who produced the Leslie Uggams show, gave me a chance to uh, become a accredited television writer and write comedy for others, than for, for talents other than myself. And that gave me a tremendous insight as to how a situation comedy is constructed because on that show we had a 15-minute mini sitcom that really um it really preceded all the other sitcoms particularly with with ethnic casts and minority casts at that time Leslie Uggams was America's sweetheart she'd already been uh, established as such 
and she wanted a, a, a situation comedy that showed a family. Now, this was long before good times or anything comparable, and uh, she had a family that lived in an uh, area called Sugar Hill. At least it was a fictitious rendering of that family's life. And the show was canceled. That is, the Leslie Uggam show was canceled after six weeks, but they had to pay us for 13. So I was happy with that situation. And as fate would have it, I moved on to write for other shows. Having started writing for a local television show, a couple of radio personalities, Al Loman and Roger Barkley, had the Loman and Barkley show. And I was one of the writers for their show. And that gave me wonderful instruction and lessons and how to write for a sitcom. So I, 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 like I said, I came along at probably the best time that any young person could come along in the industry to learn how to, to write, to support your guest stars, and to give them what they needed, and to uh, find out what the basic rules are for writing for television. That certainly is a, quite a specific skill. Now, you, you've done some writing recently, I understand. Yes, I had a book released, A World Without Color, which just is a very simple story. It was a children's book, and and it was aimed at uh, a specific audience. So it was just a simple story about a young boy who lives in a world called Bleaksville, where there's no color at all. The trees are gray. Everything is gray and mundane. But as he goes through the day, encountering different people and doing good things for them, he brings joy into their life. And as he does so each time, the colors begin to resonate and develop around him. The trees turn green, the birds have color. And so it's sort of a, a metaphor for life. In other words, the better you feel and the better you treat people, mm-hmm. the more beautiful life can be. Hmm. Let me ask you a bit about radio. You know, if you're a personality like yourself, yeah. one can go on the internet and find out interesting things. Yeah. I, I went on there the other day and I found out you were dead. And, you and, found that I was dead. Yeah, and then, I haven't and, found out yet. So and, you pardon me. <laughs> and 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 I, you know, I was I was thinking, well, that's going to put a damper on this uh, interview. Yeah, no kidding. But then, but there was a disclaimer in there that it had been uh, proven wrong. So good. One thing I found on there was you <laughs> was you uh, had a country album, a country CD. Yeah. How, is that a recent thing? Or? Oh no, years ago. Which I've always loved country music because it's storytelling. And that's basically what I feel I am is a, is a storyteller. And I just love some of the stories that are told in country music. So I decided to hook up with some uh, people who knew their way around the block. The gentleman that I chose to work with, his name was Gene Cash. And his last name is the same as is that of his cousin, Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I'd be in good hands. And we recorded an album. And... It not only didn't go platinum, it didn't go cardboard. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I had fun doing it. I wrote some of the songs, and I got to have some fun with it. So can the station get a copy of that? Is it, there, oh, there, you there can. still copies? You can. I don't know if you'll have as many listeners after you play it as you had when you started, but I'll be more than glad to get you a copy we'll, of the album. We'll get it on the radio. I appreciate that. Good now, deal. Now, how about radio was radio any part of your life when you were growing radio up? radio was my life growing up you got to remember this was long before television in fact i remember the first television set that was delivered to the house but when i was in junior high school 
at that time, the arts and those things related to the arts were well-funded. So we had a shop class, and in that shop class, we built the crystal radio. So a crystal set, they called it. I built a crystal radio when I was a kid. Did you? You see what I mean? Yeah. If you ask a kid today if he could build a crystal set, he wouldn't even know what you were talking about. (laughs) But radio was was my source of entertainment. You'd The certain nights of the week, you'd hear programs, Jack Benny, The Great Gildersleeve, and then your your adventure stories like The Shadow and The Thin Man, the, the FBI, The Fat Man. You know, there he goes. He's walking into the drugstore. He puts a penny in the scale. Weight, 300 pounds. Fortune, danger. The <laughs> Fat Man. So I, to this day, I still love radio because it allows you to use your imagination. And you can do other things while you're listening to the radio. But it took me away. It, it, it fulfilled my imagination. And the truth of it is, radio was my primary source of entertainment. Uh, you couldn't afford the movies except maybe once every two weeks, despite the low cost. But the radio was always there. And in time, my, uh, I, I, found, I, I began to develop the belief that God was pointing me towards a career in radio or entertainment because my mother got a job as a domestic working for the gentleman that drew Archie comics. Mm. And... As a gift to her and to me, he, once she told him I was such a big fan of Archie and comic books in general, he provided us with a couple of tickets for me and my next-door neighbor, a little guy named Jimmy Mack, to go to Radio City Music Hall to see a recording of the Archie show, which was also a radio program with Jughead and Moose, Veronica and Betty and all the kids from from that, high, that fictitious high school. So I got to see a radio program being produced in, in, at RKO Studios for the first time, and it was, it was confusing for me initially because I said, well, where's the high school and where's all the guys? And it was just two grown men who couldn't possibly have still been in high school unless they were dummies, and they had all the sound effects equipment on stage, and it was like an introduction to another world for me. And that's when I really, I think I got the bug. The seed was planted, and I said, I want to do this. Got the bug for being on stage. Yeah. For being on stage. and So I, I participated in a couple of my high school plays. We had a, I went to a wonderful high school, East Orange High School in New Jersey, and we were well-funded. We had a great arts program. And in fact, it was one of the best high schools in the country at that time. Now, folks in the Valley will be interested to note that uh, you're probably going to be working with the theater and uh, and hopefully the radio station uh, in the future definitely, here. Definitely. I've been invited to and, and graciously and, and happily accepted a position on the board of the theater. Uh, I just want to contribute in any way I can. I think there's a lot of talent here in Westcliff, and I, I'm really happy with the fact that the board recognized that I want to be part of the board. I don't want to be intrusive or force anybody to my way of thinking, but I think there's a lot of entertainment. There's a lot of value that can be gained by utilizing radio as a learning tool and as a tool to correct some of our social ills as well. It was the first medium any of us had to express ourselves and to entertain folks, and it's still a stable tool to be used to do just that. We'll look forward to getting you on the radio. I, I really like that. Hey, as we run out of time, sure. uh, if you could gather 
two or three or four or five people for lunch, who would you invite? And through the magic of radio, you could if these people have passed on, we can get them back here for you. Who who might be around your table? Well, it'd be athletes, of course, but there would be prominent figures from the world of entertainment, uh, i.e. Steve Allen, who I had a chance to work with, Milton Berle, some of the great comedic minds that have since gone on or in retirement. Actors, I'd love to have met Gregory Peck. I think one of the most thrilling moments I ever had in my life was meeting an author, a science fiction author, world-renowned science fiction author, Ray Bradbury. There was a radio program at one time that was hosted by this English gentleman by the name of Michael Jackson. Had the same name as the, the pop star, but he, was, <laughs> he couldn't be more different. And the inducement to doing the Michael Jackson show in which he interviewed you was that you could have lunch with anyone in the industry, anyone in the world that was still living, that he could contact. They'd arrange for you to have lunch with that person. So when they asked me, they said, John, who would you like to have lunch with? I immediately said Ray Bradbury <laughs> because he was my favorite author in the world. I love science fiction. As it was, I did have lunch with Ray Bradbury. And to me, that was the highlight of my life at that time. I'd never met a world-renowned author before. He was most gracious. And the thing that was unusual about Mr. Bradbury was he took a bus to the to the luncheon date. He never drove a car. And I asked him about that, and he said, before you know it, John, you won't be able to go anywhere in a car because the streets will be so full, so I take the bus to try and help the problem a little bit. So he was way ahead of <laughs> the average person in regards to thinking about the environment and pollution and transportation. <laughs> but he was an incredible author, and I, I told him as much that I'd been a fan of his. He'd taken me to Mars and many other planets before I turned 15. I must have been to Mars three or four times via his books. So I, I love writers, and I think I learned, I learned from every book I've ever read what not to do and what to do. <laughs> Uh, in college, I lived on Ray Bradbury, The Martian Chronicles, The yes. Illustrated Man, yes. all of those, all of those stories. So. Great stories. Say, John, we're we're uh, we're out of time. Uh, we'll have to have you come back in the future. Would uh, Would that be all right? I'd love to come back and let you know how I'm doing with the theater and with the uh, with the acting actors uh, that are here in Westcliff. I'd like to keep you abreast of that and your audience as well. Great. Thanks, John. We've been visiting with John Amos, Valley resident, writer, and actor. My name's Gary. We'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. 